Ever wondered how the essence of web development is shifting? Curious about the growth potential concealed in headless and composable architecture? Stay tuned! Welcome to Talk Commerce, the maze of commerce wisdom. I'm your co-host, Veronica Costello. On board with us today is the co-founder of Netlify, Chris Bach. A seasoned professional in the tech industry, Chris is revolutionizing the field of web development in unparalleled ways. With his unmatched expertise, we'll be delving deep into the vortex of headless commerce and the opportunities it presents for businesses today. Through our conversation, Chris illuminates how this new wave of architecture could transform your digital voyage, how it allows for more flexibility, faster market time, and effective strategies for adopting this dynamic technology. Reality is complex, but Chris promises to uncomplicate it for us. And well, we might just have our jovial co-host Brent and his fondness for teetering on the edge of joke-telling for added flavor. So stay tuned for a provoking, enlightening discussion peppered with just the right amount of jest. But first, a word from our sponsors. Great news for the Magento community. Hoofa is now fully supported by Amnesty, the number one Magento extension provider. With a catalog of over 250 Magento products and solutions and a full range of custom development services, Amnesty actively invests in providing compatibility with the Hoofa theme. 33 solution compatibilities have already been released and are available as part of the regular product subscription with no extra charge. And many more new compatibilities are coming. In partnership with Hoofa, Amnesty is focused on providing its clients with high quality extensions, great performance, and a high level of service. Visit Amnesty.com for more details. That's A-M-A-S-T-Y.com. And remember to tell them Talk Commerce sent you. Is your Magento site moving at a snail's pace? Believe it or not, you're in the same boat as 90% of Magento store owners. Let's add a splash of optimism. I recently had a client who revived their site by switching to Hoofa. Their excitement was contagious. Hoofa is more than just a theme. It's like having a secret weapon in your e-commerce arsenal. Picture this, you're crafting an online space that's as vibrant, engaging, and dynamic as your brand. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? That's the Hoofa magic! Performance, top-notch! Usability, smooth as butter! With Hoofa, hitting Google Lighthouse scores of 100 isn't a dream, it's reality! My client and I have been on this exhilarating journey, and I tell you, it's a game-changer! But hey, Hoofa isn't just about turbocharging your performance, it's about putting a personal stamp on your store. The theme is fully customizable. Play around, express yourself, make it truly yours! My client has been having a blast watching their online storefront transform! supercharged by Hufa's powerful features and tools. Ready for transformation? Why not test drive Hufa and feel the difference yourself? Visit hyva.io. That's hyva.io. And when you get there, don't forget to mention that Talk Commerce sent you. Trust me, you're in for a treat. My name is Brent Peterson and I'm your host. 
please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, Talk Commerce. Welcome to this episode of Talk Commerce. Today I have Chris Bach from Netlify. He is the co-founder. Chris, go ahead and do an introduction. Tell us your day-to-day role and maybe one of your passions in life. Yes, uh, thanks for having me. I'm Chris Bach. I am the co-founder of Netlify, the Dober platform. I'm uh, currently a CSO and CCO there as well. Um, and I sit on a number of advisory boards. I sit on the board of Market Lines as well, that deals a lot with a, in, in, sort of an industry body that deals a lot with headless and composable architecture as well. And um, yeah, I, I, I do. I am a little bit of a petrol head, I guess. I do like um, uh, uh, cars and motorsport. Excellent. So any, any particular car that you like that you would go for? Is it old cars or new cars? Oh, it's all of them. I love old cars. I love the new ones. Uh, you know, racing uh, is fun, right? So mostly things that are around racing, but yeah, I, I love it all. Awesome. Um, uh, I'm in Minnesota and we have lakes that are frozen for half the year. So the original Mini was a big hit here when you did oh, wow. ice racing because it was light <laughs> sounds... and you could put studded tires on yeah. it. And uh, it is so much fun to watch if you see guys on a little tiny car ice racing. Anyways. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Chris, I know that you very nicely uh, volunteered to be part of the free joke project. So we'll take about 30 seconds. I'm going to tell you a joke, and all you have to do is tell me if that joke is funny or not. And I'm going to say that your joke that you said in the green room is going to be funnier than my joke. So here we go. Recently, I bumped into the guy who sold me an antique globe. It's a small world. <laughs> yeah. uh, it I'm is sorry. my kind of humor. Uh, uh, like what it's, 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 it's right. Like it's borderline, isn't it? Right. It's like a, it's right in the middle. Yeah. I think I'll, I'll should go that, with funny. Should that yeah. be maybe? I like it. All right. Like good. It. I'm easy could, to amuse. That, that could be a headless joke. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Same here. Good. All right. All right. All right. Chris, um, uh, first question then, are any relation to any of the famous box that wrote all uh, the Oh, I, I, you know, I do feel Johann Sebastian totally stole my last name for fame, right? But uh, no, uh, yeah. uh, unfortunately, not, not really, as far as I know, at least. <laughs> all right. Um, good. All right. So today we're going to talk about headless composable commerce, something yes. that I'm familiar with and excited about. Um, so tell us a little bit about... Um, tell us what headless is and why somebody would want to do that. And then tell us a little bit about how your solution helps people in that. Absolutely. Well, let's start by what it isn't, right? So what we come from are what we call monoliths, right? And so essentially, if you have a, a website and you're saying, okay, I'm choosing this commerce solution. Well, that commerce solution is much more than just that. It also actually dictates how the website will look and, and everything around it, right? So it's one big monolith. It's typically running on a single origin server. Uh, it builds for every single visitor that comes there. Um, and um, over time, in the beginning, it had fewer sort of use cases, and then it tried to stretch itself as we got more and more digital touch points to be able to do everything. And um, that led to slow time to market because they come some to use, right? And uh, quite sluggish and, and often sort of being best in class at no particular functionality. Uh, so in other words, as you can hear, I believe that there are a lot of challenges with, with the traditional monoliths. However, the headless notion is saying, well, 
Let's just look at that core functionality that we wanted, that commerce functionality. What if that's just an API? What if we can take that program and then pair it to whatever else we need? So if we have a digital touchpoint and let's say a mobile application or a website or different campaign sites that pulls in from the same data they can. In other words, this headless uh, uh, means in this case that is no longer dictating what's actually the, the actual digital experiences and how they're executed. That gives a lot of flexibility. If done right, it gives faster time to market. Um, it, it enables you to build, you're not dictated in a certain templatized way, for example, how you want to build your checkout experience or checkout experience or something like that. You're actually able to do it exactly the way you want it because there is the, the business logic, the data, the backend is no longer dictating how that digital experience looks like, right? So there's a lot of inherent advantages in it. It also means that you have more moving parts. So you have to be very aware of like sort of how do you do that and, and what are the best practices associated with it? So it's not necessarily just choosing a, a headless vendor and you're done. Um, but there are a lot of potential advantages in going headless. And I think that's why we're seeing the explosion in headless uh, uh, offerings today. Yeah, and I think the other word you used was composable. So tell yes. us how composable commerce or even composable systems is interrelated with headless. Yeah, absolutely. So headless is often, as, I mean, and it's, of course, these are also terms of like where, when are they actually applied, right? That can actually change. But, but the, the traditional notion is that you had a monolith, but you cut out the head of it so you could separately um, uh, build the front end, so to speak, or the digital experience or the UI that a, that a, a customer will insert connect with. But then behind that, the back end and so on, it's, it's still monolithic, right? Uh, whereas composable, it's uh, uh, something that Gartner, uh, the analyst firm, started talking about a few years ago when we talked about digital experience platforms, which is, you know, just in surprise CMSs with extra functionality like commerce and so on, right? Uh, analytics built tools. Like it's, it's basically these larger platforms that you'll see almost all the very large dot coms have traditionally been using. Um, and, and so they were really an example of a monolith that had all the different functionality into one, right? And you want to get rid of one part of it. Great. You have to get rid of all of it. And that's a multi-year process. And so they started talking about composable saying, well, why can't you just choose a module from here and a, uh, and a component from over here and then tie them together? So I would say composable architecture today is mostly around saying that's not having a monolith at all. It's about all the elements, not just the front end being, um, so to speak, headless, right? So to speak, self-contained and as components that you can mix and match with other components. Um, so from a back-end standpoint, I know uh, in, say, 2018, Magento started working towards an isolated service module or mm -hmm. model compared to a, um, a, a, um, a, in, a unique services, so each, each service comes at, on its own. Mm -hmm. uh, Composable allows you to take each of those pieces and stick it together and then put a front end, wrap a front end around it. Is that correct? Yes, but I think it's also, as we are maturing, and this space is growing extremely rapidly, right? I mean, Gartner was out saying that uh, in 2020, 12% of enterprises when asked, if you're building a new DXP, that, remind you, has a lifetime uh, of, of 7 to 10 years, right? If they were building a new uh, DXP tomorrow, they would build Composable. That was 23%. 
in 2021, 70% in 2022. And this year they're saying that, uh, Gartner that is, uh, that 70% of all, of all enterprises will be building with composable architecture. So this is extremely uh, explosive, right? And I think um, when it comes to, uh, 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 when, when that happens, a market trend like that, then you'll also have a lot of the incumbents the existing players coming out and saying, oh, yeah, you know, we, we're also composable. And if you're selling to someone that's less technical, then sometimes you can differentiate a little bit by marketing talk. And I think it, it, in here it becomes important at least to differentiate, differentiate between modularized and composed and then composable. So modularized could say, I'm using my monolith, but uh, different services have been cut out and I can use them or not use them, right? I'm not sort of engaging the whole monolith necessarily with everything. However, are those modules meant to, for example, exist in a completely uh, different stack by a different vendor? Can they actually stand alone? And in most cases, they can't. Like in most cases, they are uh, made to be modularized, but with from the same vendor. And there's a very big difference between saying, okay, I'm, I'm locked into a vendor, but I can sort of, uh, from a technical point of view, now more figure out which services I want to use from them. And I don't have, they don't all run at the same time uh, if I don't need them. And then to saying I have a composable architecture where I'm choosing this commerce provider, I'm choosing this content management system, I'm using this uh, uh, transactional system, this built tool, this template, and so on. Um, and so the difference between composed and modularized and then composable, I think is, is something that that we all need to be aware of as we move forward, because there's a lot happening and there's a lot of jargon out there, uh, a lot of like fancy uh, terms, and it can get a little confusing. And like, who do you trust then? My, my monolith says they're not a monolith at all, they're composable. And then the, I would say the litmus test is saying, well, could you take that analytic product or that commerce product and, and use it in a, in a stack that had other vendors in it? And if the answer is absolutely not, they're not very composable. Yeah, I, I see that. So if you would take something that, uh, I mean, at the highest level, it's very common to have a CMS that's separate, an e-commerce engine that's separate, uh, maybe a marketing engine that's separate. Um, as you get down to those more isolated services or microservices, um, how do you then determine um, which, and, and I, I would, I'd like to add in too that does it really matter if you're if you're running two of the same service in the back end, but only providing one of those in the front end? No, in a, I mean, composable, you, in a composable standpoint. From a composable standpoint, you can run different services that uh, talk to from the same uh, front end, if, if if that's what you mean. I mean, I think that's the that's the nature of it. I would also say that if you take larger enterprises that has some legacy to it, there are going to be a lot of different installs, uh, installs right? And I think. The new world is not that we're moving from this monolith to this monolith, even if that monolith is not a monolith, but composable. The reality is we have a lot of different content sources, right? And we're going to have old databases with, you know, with old, let's say, job listings that there's just not enough business impact in moving it to a new architecture. But you want to still want to access it, right? Um, and, um, and you're going to have the old installs of this and that, right? And, there was this team out here, but maybe by acquisition that did something else, right? And so I don't think it's about getting it all to a new standard. I think it's about like finding viable workflows where you take those things that have the largest impact and most benefit from going headless and composable, migrate them very gradually also, 
Um, and then you, you, you will still have old things, legacy things that, that you use. I think the beauty here is that we're talking about interchangeability, that you don't have to change everything else if you want to add that new business logic layer or, or if you want to change something in, in your payment architecture or something, right? Uh, the, the, the beautiful part of, of, of headless and, and I would say composable architecture when it becomes a digital strategy is the interchangeability, right? So, so you don't have those very, very long cycles, right? Of course, there's going to be software that you, that you settle on and, and it doesn't make sense to, to, to exchange very often. But the idea that that is independent and if you change that, you're not changing everything else. That's a very, very powerful notion for, for especially enterprises. So tell us then, um, you know, some of the challenges are that you have to uh, make sure all these systems are connected in some way, right? T- tell us how, how Netlify works in that whole game. Yes. I mean, so, so Netlify was born out of, of an original in, insight, which was um, uh, that you could decouple the web. So that was the, the very basic notion that, the business logic and the data and the back end didn't have to dictate the front end, right? Um, that you could, uh, and we saw the web sort of threatened by walled gardens and you saw how on mobile, the idea and notion of pulling in a UI every time you turn a page was not going to scale. We ended up with, you know, apps for that instead. And so, but the web would be stronger and more resilient, more scalable, faster and so on, if you could decouple those things because it meant that the build image that runs all the time, that could be isolated on a developer's computer. They didn't have to run live real time. Uh, it meant that instead of having a single server origin, you could have multiple origins, which means you, you had let, less compute for every visitor. You also had distribution of, of all your data instead of having a single server somewhere. It meant um, that web developers, instead of making a, 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 a site and then handing it over for implementation, they could make a site that would be done because they store implementation, it just pulls in the backend via APIs. So it was a very powerful play, but the last thing it promised was that it opened the path towards composable architecture. That instead of each of those components, your CMS components and your commerce components, before they would each dictate a web, you know, a digital experience, right? A, 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 e.g. a, a dot .com. Um, you can't have more than one, so you would choose one of them. Now they were APIs, so you can draw from those different ones and then pull them together in a single experience, right? Uh, and you could do that for, for all those different digital touch points. Um, and so that was a very powerful notion. And the reason it wasn't happening was, A, there was no ecosystem. There was sort of like, you know, uh, two people uh, 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 doing this, and, and, we were, and we were those. Uh, and, and, and B, um, and, and you can't have headless commerce if there's no headless commerce provider. And B, there was no viable workflow. So once you take those monoliths and turn them into HPIs, APIs, so they no longer do all the template engineering, they don't do all the builds and they don't do unified release management and they don't do all these other things like, you know, abstracting away hosting, what what happens with that? And then we think, oh, well, if we create a, a platform that can take all that data and, and unify it into one workflow, one Git workflow, one way of, of you push to Git and then we can distribute it all over in, in finished properties, that would make it viable to start building real things with it. And if we do that, then there's so many inherent advantages in this that we believe the ecosystem would come. And so that was really our original mission. And so we made that company, uh, Netlify, we, we launched it out of private beta uh, eight years ago. 
And today we have more than 4 million developers and businesses on the platform. We have more than 100,000 every month. Uh, but the ecosystem from having two or three companies in it now has more than 2,500. It, it has become a very big thing. And, and, and so now we're seeing with traversing the chasm, right? And now you're seeing that, hey, it's not just developers that prioritize technology. No, it's, it's enterprise architects and marketers and others that are in it for the business outcomes. And, um, and they're not just going to self-architect this from bottom up and then all the way up to their largest properties and so on, right? And, and so Netlify is now in a place where we, we're not just providing those developers workflows. We're really moving to say, as you go composable, you're going to get best-in-class components, and then you're going to need a way to tie that together. You need, need a way to, to satisfy your marketers, your enterprise architects. You need a standardized way of talking to your old legacy systems, but also the new ones. And, and you need unified release management around all of that so you get a fast time to market. And that's what Netlify solves for today. Um, and it's, it's a super exciting time, right? Because composable architecture, when it's hard, when it doesn't work well, it's almost always because it wasn't a holistic solution. It's when you just choose your headless commerce solution and then you think that it, that's it, but you keep all your operations in the same way. And the way you do security scans and head, caching headers and everything else, and it requires a lot of people, a lot of overhead, a lot of operation. But, but with this workflow, we can turn all that into code and it becomes much more unified, right? So uh, an average enterprise client of Netlify publishes uh, more than 25 times a day which is typically once or, or two, uh, every two or three weeks before that. So that's really, Netlify's value add is, is to come in and create that orchestration that you need when you go composable. When you choose that, hey, I want this common solution, I want this content solution, you're still going to have to figure out a way that your organization can work with that in a viable way. So tell us, um, you've mentioned, you mentioned orchestration a couple of times. Just tell us or enlighten us on some of those challenges around maintaining um, uh, this architecture where you have a front end that's, say, it's built as a, as a React or a single-page web mm -hmm. application and then attaching to your back end, um, along with maybe, you know, a POS and a CMS and all the other fun things yeah. that you could also attach, an application, a web app or an iOS application, things like that. Tell mm -hmm. us how the challenge is uh, in making sure all those are maintained without something like Netlify. Well, the challenge there, I would say, if you don't have what, you know, a composition platform or, or, or front-end cloud, becomes that, okay, it's a theory of constraints, right? Is that you remove one bottleneck. Now you have APIs that are much easier to work with, right? Your common solution. However, that still has to be consumed. The product of that has to be consumed in a digital experience by your customer, whether it's B2B or B2C, doesn't really matter. There's somewhere there's a device and they're going to be interacting with it. And in, in the process of making that, if you're now saying, okay, you have someone building out uh, the digital experience, they're pulling in from the API, but now you go to your system administrators or your DevOps and hand over a ticket for implementation. And then they have to go through all the traditional scans and setting up your staging environments and, uh, and production environments and maintaining those. And then you continuously, not just for launch, but also after that, you have to set all your caching, right? And, and often, even for the largest of companies, I'll see that they're probably cached in maybe 5%. Very often, it's just the .com. All the other domains and problems are because it takes a lot of, of effort, right? There's a lot of resources attached to it, right? 
Um, and then you have your infrastructure engineers, right? And they have, you know, a huge setup there. And, and by the way, that's architected for a world where front end was HTML that was cut off and set off for implementation. When you start building very advanced applications, uh, having web developers and, 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 and others do that, then there's a lot of complexity that has to be mapped out on the infrastructure level as well. And so very often that goes wrong. Um, and, and, uh, and again, one of the primary movers for moving to headless and composable architecture, if you ask enterprises, and I've, we, you know, we have hundreds of thousands, I mean, literally we have more than 32 million site stores and apps on, on the side. So I've had a chance to talk to a lot of them over time, right? And the number one reason for going this way and adopting this architecture is faster time to market, right? It's simply become too slow. We're not reactive enough. And then number two is like we need faster moving properties. They need to convert higher because that's, uh, you know, bounce rate goes up drastically when it takes longer to load. Um, and you don't get that just from using the right headless components. They're very important, but they don't dictate that digital experience. And so if you're still stuck with having to hand something over for implementation and other and traditional operations, and you have all those different players that need to interact and, and need to align from a very pragmatic point of view, also just from a timing point of view, you have just too many people that, that need to, to press the right button in the right order. Um, it just takes too long. So what we see with those installs is very often there's frustration, not because of the tooling itself. It can be great headless commerce solutions, but because that faster time to market isn't there. And the web properties or digital experiences in general aren't fast enough. And, and, and so the reality is that you fixed a few bottlenecks, but you left the old ones. And I see that's why I often talk when I'm out touring and talking about composable architecture, that you have to look at things holistically and that it carries some digital maturity in the organization. Because you can't just have someone say, oh, I want this. Is that okay? Great. And now we're good, right? It is more holistic. You have to think about things that, that from, from, from back end all the way to how are those digital experiences consumed. So what Netlify can do in that is a, a huge layer of automation in general. I mean, if you think of, of, of this shift to composable architecture, it's the largest we've had since we moved from on-prem to cloud. And what that really was about was elasticity and scalability, right? You know, Amazon can spin up a lot of easy tool services uh, and then multitude of services, but it was still business as usual, right? You still had to run all those things. Back then you were tying together 50 services. Now it's more than a thousand. And so if you keep doing things and you add composable architecture, the best in class components across different projects on top of it, it's no longer tenable. What Netlify is about saying, it's not about making it easier to set caching or or infrastructure or anything like it's about abstracting that away by architecture and so all of that is automated there is no maintaining server-side environments because the build now goes takes place in the development phase right and so what you push live is always going to be the same but it's just it's done right there is no maintaining sql insecurities or anything else that you would do like that there is no caching setting there is no infrastructure layer all of this is code all of this is just pushed live together with your website when you when you when you push it live, which is typically to a uh, some sort of version in cloud like the GitHub or Bitbucket or, or GitLab or something like that, and um, and then we can literally take it from there. Then there's all the considerations of how do you pull in the right data at the right time from all these different components for commerce and content management and so on. Also, why the site is running and live 
you know, in a, in a browser, on a mobile app, or whatever it might be. That's also taken care of. And so you're basically spending all your resources now on building the actual functionality and all that maintenance that used to be by far the biggest check size is actually being automated away to a great degree. And that's what Netlify helps with. So in, in essence, you could say that composable success or headless success is picking the right components that fit your needs because there's a lot of them out there. And, and there's a lot of different, and they're done with different scopes, functionality-wise, different tech stacks underneath it and so on. It has to fit you, the developers you have available uh, and what you need. And it has to fit into whatever existing infrastructure you very often have because most projects aren't total greenfield, right? They're pulling in from existing project management offerings or whatever, or sorry, uh, 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 PIMS or OMSs or whatever it might be, right? So it has to fit into that workflow. But choosing the right components has to be paired with a Netlify, like with a composition platform, with a, with a, you can say choosing headless, but you also have to choose headless architecture to go along with it. And that's what we supply. Yeah. And I think a lot of times uh, um, maybe businesses or even agencies that are recommending this type of solution, just throw it out there to the merchant and don't always offer that the the composable part of it or the um, orchestration right. part, I think, is a lot a lot of times what's missed out. Yeah. Um, Chris, if you had uh, some kind of a nugget that you could give uh, a merchant or a, um, an IT director in the next quarter or the next half of the year here, what would that be? I think that that you composable architecture should be adopted and there's a lot of right reasons for doing that right we talked about a little bit about your ability to differentiate the brand experience the faster time to market the high performance sites but there's also better security and scalability and and reduced cost if done right uh, uh, by adopting this um so it does make sense and actually in a time where where a lot of people are pressed right you're saying oh let's wait with replatforming i think it's a good idea for all these merchants to look at what is the price of doing nothing because it's human nature to think doing nothing is cheap right like i'm just staying put reality is 40 percent of it budgets 40 percent on average i still can't wrap my head around that number right but 40 percent are spent on upgrades you get literally nothing for it right and and so and and then all that operational overhead and doing things in the old way right whether you're getting help from a gsi or an agency or, or you just have your own people doing it, that's expensive too. So look at the cost of, of doing nothing. Um, look at the benefits of, of going composable headless, but, but really also understand that it is an organizational decision. If you compartmentalize it too much and it's only, you know, you're catering these markets over here or these developers over here, and that's all, and they're just investing in that one system that, that they want to do then you're almost guaranteed to not be successful, unfortunately, right? It, it, I wish it was that easy, but it does require some maturity. It requires thinking about holistically. However, the last part of this is that you're not building out a new model. I came from 14 years in agencies. I've seen it over and over again. We had one system, we built out a new one, we ported the content, we feature lock, 18 months later we're live. It's years and years to get there. You can do things gradually with composable architecture. It's not about replacing everything. You can start in a corner. And if your vendor or SI or, 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 or doesn't know how to help you with that, how to determine where there's most impact and where you would have the fewest dependencies and a good place to start, find someone else because that is really a really good path to success. 
And you can also get the outcome quick. You can get all the stakeholders and see this is actually what we got out of making this move. And you can keep going from there in a much more validated way, rather than the old way, right? Where it takes 10 years to figure out if we were right or wrong, right? And that's terrible. <laughs> And I, I suppose a good example of a cool. traditional monolith, uh, a good example of a traditional monolith that, that has been around for a long time that people now are struggling to move off of would be Magento 1, where you're stuck in something and maybe you have 10 years of technical debt. With Composable, you have small pieces of technical debt that can be swapped out as you're going along. I think that's what I'm hearing from yeah. you, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, go ahead. No, uh, right. so Chris, we, uh, we we have a few minutes left here. Um, as I as I close out the podcast, I give everybody a chance to do a shameless plug. What would you like to plug today? I think we we talked about it, right? Like in essence, I I want to plug those two things: composable and headless architecture has a tremendous amount of benefits to them, but you have to do them right. And it's not just choosing the right components, and it's not around choosing a certain flavor of JavaScript or whatever it might be if you're a developer. It's about thinking a little bit holistic around it, thinking about how can this be part of our digital strategy. And you need to think about how do you orchestrate this? How do you serve it? How does this, how do you create the right digital experiences with the headless APIs? And if people want to get in touch with Netlify. you, sorry. Either. Yeah, the plug here is, of course, Netlify helps you. With just doing that, like we, we, we absolutely, uh, uh, we pioneered the front end cloud and we're by far the furthest ahead in this space, um, in, in helping, uh, uh, enterprises transition well into composable architecture. That would be the plug. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. And how would they get in touch with you? Oh, there's a million ways. I'm Chris at metlify.com. I am on LinkedIn. Um, and, uh, uh, our whole team is, there's also just go to metlify.com and, and fill out a form. We are, we are always happy to have a, a non-committal conversation about, it could just be your digital challenges or it could be much more concrete about how to make this a headless version of this content management system successful or this, uh, or it could be sort of what have we seen? Because I think there's probably no one in the world that has as many different kinds of uh, commerce installations as uh, headless commerce installations as we do. There's hundreds of different pro headless commerce providers that we have meaningful installations together with. And so we can also be a good partner in figuring out where do we see that people traditionally solve the challenges that you have as well. Um, and and um, uh, what tools are they traditionally using? Um, yeah, so many ways to get in touch. And I'm always eager to chat Composable. It's always fun. So be f feel very free to, to ping me. Awesome, and I will make sure I get all those under the show notes. Chris, Christian Bach, Chris Bach, it was great to talk to you today. I appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Talk Commerce. Please rate this episode wherever you download your podcasts. We are actively looking for people to participate in the free joke project. Go to talk-commerce.com and sign up for your free spot on the Free Joke Project. If you are a business, I will do a 30-second elevator pitch in the spot to help promote your business. That's talk-commerce.com.